I certainly have enjoyed the good songs that lifted up tonight that are so appropriate for our study in God's Word together, remembering that God's Word is uh, a powerful, powerful witness of the revelation of a covenant-keeping God, a God that really cares about each and every one of us, and a God who has made many promises that are unchanging and unfailing because they are hinged upon the power of a God whose throne is unassailable. There are two scriptures I want to use as a backdrop to our study tonight of Revelation 21, and that is in John chapter 14, verse 3, when Jesus is speaking his final words to the disciples before he goes to the cross and they're obviously troubled in mind and heart. He says, I don't want you to be troubled. Don't, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will return and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. The other verse is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, where Paul reminds us, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. So if you're a lover of God tonight, if you're a lover of Christ tonight, I've got some mighty good news for you. We want to turn our attention to the 21st chapter of Revelation. Last time we tried to work our way through part of it. Uh, the theme of this chapter is found in verse 5 where he says, Behold, I make all things new. In this chapter we read about the new heaven and earth. We read about uh, the newness of what God plans or has purposed, rather, for his people. When we use the word new tonight, we're not talking about new in order of time, but we're talking about new in character. It's similar to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, when he said, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. It's new in character and new in prospect. Last time we tried to refer to the uh, literal context of the promise of the new heaven and new earth. Remember, we went to Isaiah 65 and 66 and, and back over to Second um, uh, Peter chapter 3, verses 7 through 10, where Peter says, according to the promise... The promise that was made in Isaiah, he said, We look for a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. Well, tonight we're going to see a, a new people, a new people of God. In verses 3 through 8, a new people of God that are inhabiting what is referred to as a new Jerusalem. In verses 9 through 27, I want to uh, 
pick up for time's sake, I'd like to go back over uh, some of the other things we talked about that are so important for us to remember about this sacred promise, but we don't have time to do that. So we're going to have to pick up in verse 9. And, uh, and there came unto me, John speaking, remember, there came unto me one of the seven angels which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues or strokes of judgment and talked with me saying, Come hither and I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. Now I want you to get this image in your mind. This is the wife of the lamb. The, this is the uh, reference to the people of God that are redeemed by the blood of the lamb. Now, here's the important point here. Some people advocate that God saves people in the New Testament different in, from the people in the Old. He, he saves uh, people in a different way than He saves people in the Old. But I want you to understand what we're going to learn tonight is that there is a sacred union between all of the elect in the Old Covenant and the elect in the New Covenant. When we read about the 12 tribes of Israel, we're talking about the Israel of God in the Old Covenant. And then we have the 12 apostles. They're going to form foundations, stones, and the 12 tribes of Israel are going to represent the gates of this great city that we're going to talk about, God willing. And you're going to see them meet in perfect harmony. And they're the ones that are called the Lamb's Wife. They're the redeemed out of all the nations of the earth. Now that's, uh, to use a colloquialism, that blows my mind to just even try to think about. Well, here, John is seeing this. And remember, where's John? John's on the Isle of Patmos, right? And, and, and there's a great sea, a Mediterranean sea between him and... And the people that he loves over at the church he pastored in Ephesus. But you know in this chapter we learn that there's no more sea. There's no more division going to occur between the people of God. And uh, that's marvelous in our minds. There's nothing that can sever God's people from one another forever. <laughs> he says I want you to know this John. You're not going to always have to go through this suffering and separation and isolation. And he carried, verse 10, and he carried me away in the Spirit, just like he did in chapter 1, verse 10. He carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Now, brothers and sisters, I want you to understand there is a sacred contrast between the city that Abraham was looking for in uh, the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 11 and verse 10, because he, uh, back up in Genesis chapter 4, you read about a man named Cain who left um, the habitation that he had with his father uh, Adam and he went to build cities. Cain was a builder of cities. But Abraham was not looking for a city that Cain built. He was looking for a city that God built. And tonight we're going to understand that a little bit better. That's a, a wonderful contrast in our study tonight. Now, as we go through this, think about these things. Um, 
He, he uh, showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God and her light was like unto the st- a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Now this jasper stone that is going to be repeated in this chapter is what we call a diamond. It's a clear crystal, uh, hard Lasting, enduring, uh, crystal diamond, this jasper stone. So here is uh, the first picture that we have of the immensity of this structure. And uh, verse 12, and it had a wall great and high and had 12 gates and at the gates 12 angels and the names written thereon which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. It's interesting to me to notice that the length of this wall is not discussed. The width is, the dimensions of the city is, but the wall itself, the dimensions are are not discovered to us in God's word. And I believe that what he's doing, he's tying two dimensions of time together. He's tying the witness of the Old Testament saints to the witness of the New Testament saints and he's bringing them together in this wall. Now watch this. On the east, uh, in verse uh, 13, on the east side of this city, there were three gates on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. So here we have a city that is later called Foursquare. It's a city of equal dimensions that has a wall of unknown length that's going to connect two separate peoples, the old and the new. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and in them the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Now, he tells us that, uh, that uh, these gates are named after the 12 tribes of Israel. And these foundation stones are actually named after the 12 apostles. And they're joined together by this wall, if you will. I think in reference to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, where the Apostle Paul said, We are builded upon the foundation of the, uh, the uh, apostles, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. We are, bu- we are the building of God in Matthew chapter 19, verse 28. Notice this. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed in to, to measure the city, and the gates thereof, and the wall thereof. Now, uh, the golden reed uh, that is under consideration is a divine standard of measurement. We're actually introduced to this in uh, Ezekiel chapter 40, where uh, the prophet is uh, commanded to take a reed and measure the city itself. Now, 
I, I think this is significant on, on two levels. I, I believe that what he's saying is he's measuring this city as it uh, pertains to ownership. God is the one that owns this city. You, you wouldn't have any uh, desire whatsoever to measure the land or the property of your next door neighbor, would you? you uh, who, who would do that? Who, who would do that? Who would measure uh, somebody else's property? What, when you measure or when you survey a lot, you're surveying it for, uh, to uh, determine the boundary of ownership. Catch that. Also, he's measuring it for John. John the persecuted. John the isolated. John the separated from the people that he served so many years. Here he is all alone, but he's not alone. God is with him. And he's going to show him not only the ownership that God has of this city, but he's going to give him something that's going to actually make him anticipate being there. He's going to build John's hope by the revelation of what he has laid up for them that love him. All right? And the city, verse 16, and the city lies four square. It's, it has four equal sides in dimension. And the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Now, we don't use furlongs today. That Greek term that's translated furlongs in your Bible is stadia. And if you multiply 12,000 stadia, you come up with 1,400 miles. Now let that sink in just a minute. 1,400 miles. Long 1,400 miles wide and 1,400 miles high. Hallelujah. No wonder Paul said, I hath not seen nor ear heard. No wonder we can kind of sense that the Apostle John has a, his jaw drop when he sees what God has laid up for his people. It's amazing. And, uh, uh, okay, now catch this. The length and the breadth and the height are of, uh, are of equal measurements. Now, this is significant on several levels. He's talking about a perfect cube. Now, some commentators actually say this is describing a pyramid, but that doesn't fit. It doesn't fit in my understanding at all. Because when I studied the construction, now let's go back. I'm talking to Bible students here tonight. Um, but we can go back to the book of uh, Exodus. And we can go from chapter 25 all the way to the end of chapter 48 in uh, Exodus. And you'll find, um, you'll, you'll find there's a subject that's covered in those chapters that is more in length than any other subject in the Bible. You know, when God created the heavens and the earth and everything in it, two chapters. 
Two chapters. But here, you, you, you have uh, uh, over 20 chapters describing the details of the tabernacle. The tabernacle that Israel was commanded to build in the wilderness. Moses was in Mount Sinai and he received the instructions from God. And, he, and God made sure he understood he was serious about every detail. Remember? He says, you're going to build it exactly after the pattern that I have shown you in the mount. He said it repeatedly all the way through the book of Exodus and later on. Because it was important to God how this uh, tabernacle was going to be constructed. And the most holy place in that tabernacle, the most holy place, follow me now, was uh, where the Ark of the Covenant would be placed. Now follow me. When the tabernacle was dedicated, when it was completed, when it was uh, perfectly conformed to the instructions, and if you'll allow me, the blueprint that God had given Moses. What was that blueprint of? What was that pattern after? Brothers and sisters, I, I believe it was after the heavenly temple. After the heavenly city of Jerusalem. And he said, and when you come to this uh, holy of holies, this holy of holies is going to be 15 feet. Five cubits, right? Am I right? Five cubits by, uh, no, no, I'm, 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 I'm uh, it's, it's uh, a, a cubit's 1.5. Um, that's why I'm getting the 15. <clears throat> Hate it when that happens. Ten. Ten cubits. Ten. Ten. Ten cubits. Yeah, thank you, Lord. <laughs> Uh, I hate it when that happens. You know that. Just go. All right, it's got to be 10 cubits, not 10.5, not 9.6. 10 cubits by 10 cubits by 10 cubits. A perfect cube. Why do you think that's important? I believe it points us to the Trinity. The Trinitarian nature of God Himself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit being equal in mind, in purpose, in harmony, one with another. It's a, it's a beautiful picture of, of the glory of God as it is seen in that tabernacle. Now, when they dedicated the tabernacle, most of you recognize where I'm going with this, God came down and dwelt or filled that tabernacle with His presence. It's called the Shekinah glory. It is the flaming fire glory, the beauty of God Himself coming down as He dwells among men. That was what Moses experienced on that occasion. Several centuries later, Solomon's going to build a temple. And the temple's not going to be just um, built any old which way. It's going to be built in harmony with the pattern of the tabernacle itself. Because God gave Moses that pattern, that blueprint, and Solomon says, okay, we've got the blueprint. Let's make this, uh, um, instead of a tent or a tabernacle, we're going to make a, a solid building. And this building is going to be magnificent. 
This building is going to be filled with, with gold. It's going to be filled with jewels. It's going to be filled with all kinds of precious stones because of the nature of the worship of God himself. See, that's, that's why it's so important for us to seek first the kingdom of God and to place a high premium upon our worship of Adonai, our worship of Jehovah God, because he's precious. And he has, he's allowed us to know him. He's allowed us to worship him. He's manifested himself to us and in us. Don't think, uh, don't ever take that for granted. Don't think that's a small thing. That's a huge blessing. And when Solomon, uh, as we find recorded in uh, uh, 1 Kings chapter 6 through 8, uh, where uh, when they dedicated the temple, the glory of God again came down, and it came down inside that holy of holies, and the dimensions are given again. It's 10 cubits by 10 cubits by 10 cubits. It's, it's a perfect cube. And here in the New Jerusalem, isn't it wonderful to think about um, that tabernacle and that temple uh, that Solomon built being uh, a type or being a picture of the holy city of Jerusalem, which will be a perfect cube. And, uh, and I'm not trying to say I understand all of the ins and outs. Uh, uh, we could talk to Brother uh, uh, Kevin tonight uh, just thinking about uh, uh, what kind of bond beams there would be necessary. What, you know, just uh, from a structural standpoint, how massive and, and, and how uh, a tremendous a challenge this would be to construct. But remember, God's the one that built it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just stand on the foundation Tonight, and I'm going to tell you, I don't think it was any harder for him to build this city than it was to build a star or the moon or the sun. How about you? Or the earth. He spoke, and it was done. Hallelujah. Well, this is a, a tremendous uh, encouragement to, to John as he contemplates living in this kind of a city. A city that Abraham said, whose builder and maker is God. Whose builder, architect, and maker is God. Everything's equal in it. In verse 17, and he measured the wall thereof, and hundred and forty and four cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is the angel. Now that's the width of the wall. That's approximately 85 feet wide. Hmm. Who's going to get in that? Who's going to break down that wall? And the verse 18, and the building of the wall uh, of it was of, and this was a, a shock to my senses, the building of the wall of it was jasper. Diamonds. Wow. And the city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. In other words, it was translucent gold. Gold that was purified to the extent that it was it was nearly clear, no impurity, all perfection, all stability. Isn't it a wonder to your mind and mind uh, tonight that men uh, spend their whole lives trying to gather as much gold and silver as they can and diamonds as they can and precious stones as they can. They make all they can and they can all they make. And, and the city that we're going to, they use it for pavement. They use it for mortar. They use it for building blocks. 
Isn't that interesting? Well, here he's seeing this and he's blown away like we are. Uh, He's blown away by this tremendous wall that's built of diamonds and translucent gold as stones or blocks. And uh, the foundations, verse 19, and the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished, beautified, polished. This is amazing to me. Polished. (laughs) Garnished. With all manner of precious stones. The first foundation, we're going to see 12, and these are going to be representative of um, the... uh, They're they're going to be representative of of the stones that were found in the breastplate of the high priest in the Old Testament. That's that's where they came from. These stones were in the breastplate of the high priest in the Old Testament. The first foundation was jasper. There's your diamond again. Third time, diamond again. And the second, sapphire, which is a light blue. My wife helped me with that one. And the third was uh, Chalcedony, which is sky blue with with, uh, uh, light blue stripes through uh, the center of it. And the fourth was emerald, which is green. Listen to these colors. Listen to these colors. And the fifth was Sardonyx, and and it's a red and white stone. Uh, The sixth is Sardius, which is an orange, red, or brown stone. And these are all stones that can be found in in the regions, the mountains of Palestine today. These these stones can be mined in the hills of Palestine today. The eighth is beryl, and beryl is a green or yellow mixture uh, in the stone. The ninth is topaz, which is also a yellow-green stone, sometimes more green than yellow, sometimes more yellow than green. And the eleventh was a jacinth, and jacinth was a velvet red. Can you imagine how pretty that was? And the twelfth was an amethyst, which an amethyst is a purple quartz crystal. So you can just—I mean—you can just imagine how beautiful this must be. These these colors that reflect and radiate the glory of God in this city. In verse twenty-two, and I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. Now, that, that one kind of takes me back a little bit because we've been reading about the heavenly temple, heavenly temple, heavenly temple. Well, well, the temple was, number one, the place of worship. But the temple was also the place that the Jews had to bring their sacrifices. They had to bring those sacrifices three times a year to the city of Jerusalem and offer them upon the altar at the temple. Now he says, there's no more temple. Why? Why is there no more temple? Because there's no more need for sacrifice. The sacrifices were offered because of sin. There's, there's no the first street in the city of New Jerusalem. You, I know what it is, friends. It's called no more. No more. That's the first street you'll see when you're walking through this heavenly city, and down that street you're going to find vacant death. Vacant suffering, vacant sickness, vacant sin, and hallelujah, vacant devil. Now I just threw that one in. That, that's, that's 1 Jeff 2, 3. 
But that's what I think about when I'm thinking about this city. It blows me away. There's no more temple. Why? Because there's no more need for sacrifice. Because God is not uh, restricted to um, uh, a holy of holy place behind veils and, and behind doors, closed doors. God is everywhere in this city. He's one with his people. And his people are one with him. And the Lamb uh, uh, is the light or, or uh, is uh, uh, the temple of the city. And the city had no need, verse 23, this kind of blows me away. And the city had no need of the sun, neither the moon, nor to shine in it. Why? I mean, the sun and the moon, uh, they're morally neutral. I mean, you know, you know, there's not good and evil in the sun or moon. But the issue is light. The greater light and the lesser light, right? And they're ruling the sky by day and by night. Well, they're taken out of the way because the sovereign God is the ruler. <laughs> There's no more need for that kind of light because their glory is the light of this city. And the Lamb is the light of this city. Limitless, limitless presence of the living God does that make you kind of happy I tell you what brothers and sisters this this makes me get a little longing to be there how about you you know one time there was a preacher at the end of a service he he asked he, he says I want everybody that wants to go to heaven lift up your hand and everybody in the house lifted up their hand except one little boy on the back row he didn't lift up his hand so that preacher went back and said son did you hear what I asked? He said, oh, I heard. I said, do you want to go to heaven? You don't want to go to heaven? Oh, yes, sir, I want to go to heaven. But I thought you were getting up a busload tonight. Well, when I read things like this and study things like this, it makes me long for that heaven. Long for that place. Long to just experience it. And I hope it does that with you tonight. Listen to this. Verse 24. And the nations of them which are saved. Now, brothers and sisters, that's the elect. That's the people that were chosen in Christ even before the world began. Those whose sins were washed away by the blood of the Lamb upon the tree of the cross. Those brothers and sisters who have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within them and the new nature that only God can give to them. And those that have heard the good news of the Son of God and said, yes, that's my hope. Yes, He's my Savior and all my trust is in Him alone. That's the nations of the saved. And, uh, and they shall walk in the light of it, in the light of this city. And the kings of the earth. And I'm trying to figure out in my own mind how they, how they walk. You know, when you're talking about 1,400 miles. And your wife says to you one night, you know, I, I want some ice cream. And you say, well, where's the store? And she says, <laughs> on the top floor. <laughs> I'm, uh, brother Kevin that's uh, you know I just I just think like that sometimes but I'm wondering how do I get to the top floor? 
Do I walk? Is there an elevator? I, I don't know all of that. I've not tried to say I know all about this, but I do know that I want to be there. I do know that I'm looking forward to seeing it. But I, I, I thought about that when, I, when I, I read this. Of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor unto it. See, all of the crowns, all of the glory that we may attain in this life. You know, I believe there's, I believe there's crowns given to God's people. There's crowns given to the faithful. There's crowns given to the people of God. But see, all of these crowns are laid at the feet of, of the Redeemer. They bring their glory and their honor and lay it down at the feet of Christ. And the gates of it, verse 25, listen to this. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day. Let that sink in. These doors aren't locked. These doors are open. And they're open all day. It's a safe place. It's a good place. It's the place of the redeemed. For there shall be no night there. Have you ever been afraid of the dark? Have you ever been afraid when there's something goes bump in the night? I remember as a little boy, uh, I, I was sure the devil was at my window trying to get me. And I called out for daddy and I said, daddy, the devil's at my window. He's trying to get me. And he opened the window and it was a branch of a tree that had broken and it was slapping the window. But in my little mind, I was nine years old. In my mind, I thought the devil was there to get me. There's things that make us afraid in the dark, afraid in the night. See, that's why I fear for my nation, because I see the clouds of a stormy, stormy time coming to our nation because we've rebelled against God, and God takes that seriously. But here John is being told, don't be afraid. Because there's a day coming when there's not going to be any more dark. There's not going to be any more night. Not at all. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. Hallelujah. And there shall in no wise enter into it. And this is talking about the New Jerusalem, the city of New Jerusalem, right? There's, there's no, uh, shall in no wise enter into it anything that defiles Neither whatsoever works abomination or makes a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. You see, brothers and sisters, there's not going to be any empty chairs in heaven. There's not going to be. You know, God is not up in heaven saying, Well, son, I wonder how many people are going to finally make it here. There's none of that. God knew his people before time began. Jesus died for their sins. The Holy Spirit gives them a new heart and brings them into the family of God through adoption. And one day, friends, I I tell you this on the authority of God's holy word, one day we're going to rise and receive a glorified body and be taken into this wonderful city where sin, sorrow, and Satan will never, never have uh, be existent there so we have a great desire tonight to praise God for this gracious promise
that we'll experience by his power. God bless you. Thank you. You want me to lead in prayer?